0: So I'm Camille. I see quite a few faces that there are tons of new people here, and this is such an awesome community. And for those of you that don't know me, I'm married to Eric Knopf. He's the one that's up here most weeks speaking. I am his very shy, demure, you know, behind the scenes wife. Not really. I think one of the hardest verses in the Bible for me is the submitting wives verse. Um, but I love being married to Eric. And fun fact, we when we were early on, we took personality tests. And we were like, on the pers- according to the personality test, we're the most incompatible <laughs> couple. And I mean, the first few years of our marriage might have reflected that a little bit. But I will say that I'm so glad we chose each other because... I love our life together, and uh, we've done a lot of work, a lot of hard work, um, and learned a lot about ourselves, but I can now say being married 12 years this summer, I could not have made a better choice for my life. So, you know, don't listen to what the, all the internet surveys say sometimes. Um, yeah, so tonight I am going to speak on a topic that I am certainly not an expert in, well, I might be an expert in not doing very well at it, and that's why I'm speaking on it tonight. But just to start you off with a little story, Uh, every morning, Eric makes coffee for the two of us. I do not talk to anybody or really open my eyes until I've had my cup of coffee, but um, he makes us coffee, and in between, we have two small children. So in between making breakfast for the kids, packing lunch, changing diapers, whatever we're doing, we always every morning ask each other, "Hey, like, what do you have going on today?" Uh, you know, this is what I've going on today. And sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes you know, you pretend you're interested, but <laughs> it's you know, computer stuff. I don't know. But um, <laughs> you know, so we go through a day. Well, a few weeks ago. And here's a side note. For those of you that really know Eric Knopf well, you know that he actually really loves being pranked. And he loves it. I, it's like one of his love languages. And I think one of the things he loves about me is that I love trying to, like, shock him. And for most of our marriage, I've always tried to, like... He's he kind of grew up as, like, a little bit of a sheltered Oregon boy. And so I love, like... Saying things and doing things that kind of startle him and surprise him. And he kind of loves it. It's like one of our love languages in our marriage. So I got this great opportunity uh, a few weeks ago. He's like, oh, you know, what what are you up to today? I was like, oh, I actually am doing something really really interesting today. He's like, oh, really? You know, what are you doing today? I was like, well, today I'm going on a blind date. And he kind of just looked at me. Again, he's like used to being shocked by me. I was like, a blind date with someone I met on the internet that I've never met before. And he kind of looked at me. And again, being married to him for 12 years this summer, I have done so many different pranks on him. Everything from, I'm also a veterinarian for those of you who don't know me, large animal. I've done everything from leaving castration tools in the dishwasher for him to find, like accidentally pull out. I one time, I didn't tell him, but I had a bucket of bones that I was soaking, and I left the bucket in the garage. I was like cleaning them because I wanted to use them for an educational tool, but I deliberately didn't tell him they were there because I wanted just to see what would happen when he like, opened it and saw a bunch of bo- like real bones come out at him. One time, he was um, helping me with this case, and I accidentally squirted him in the eye with a syringe of local anesthetic. And it went down his tear duct, and it temporarily numbed half his face and made him blind. (laughs) And the whole time, he's like, he told me later, the whole time, he's like, because he does, like, visual computer stuff for a living. And so the whole time, he's, like, convinced that he's lost his living at this point. And he's, like, frantically whispering to me, like, I can't see on my eye. My whole face is done. And I'm like, shh, I'm trying to get this laceration taken care of. And he loves to tell that story, so you should ask him sometime. So... I tell him that, yeah, I actually have a blind date. It's a friendship blind date. It's with this mom that I met on this you know, local mom's group. We found out that we had this kind of unusual thing in common. We're both in this certain type of, into this certain type of education. And so through Facebook, we decided that we would meet up. And I don't remember if he rolled his eyes or not. He kind of was like, OK, what else is new? You're going on a blind date today. and. So I went on this blind date with this woman, and it was fine. I mean, we had a fine time. We didn't really have anything else in common besides this one unusual thing. And we didn't have a lot of chemistry. So after the date was over, the friendship date, after the friendship date was over, we didn't make plans to have another one. But it really got me thinking, I did not find this experience to be a waste of my time. Because just like finding a partner to marry, I really feel like it's healthy and prudent to kind of date your friends, to weed out the relationships that are going to be life-giving from those that are not. Because here's the deal. I don't want my friendships to be accidental. And one thing that this experience did do was really start getting me to think, like, about friendship. Why is it important? Why do we seek it out? What does Jesus have to say about friendship? And maybe on a deeper level, why do I feel like I have friends, yet I still struggle with feeling lonely? So tonight I'm speaking on friendship, kind of being spurred from this blind date experience. And I'll be honest, at first I thought, I'll speak on friendship, that sounds kind of simple, But when you go beneath the surface, is there anything really more complicated than friendship? I mean, it can be amazing and it can be super awkward. It can be uncomfortable. It can be super painful. It can be joy-giving. And there's no way that tonight I can talk about all the facets of friendship. I mean, there are thousands of books written on friendship. Tonight, I will reference two of them. But my goal tonight is to get you thinking about just one type of friendship, and that is the intimate friend. That is the friend that you let into the most inner circle of your life. There are many different types of friendships, from acquaintances to coworkers to close friends, casual friends, childhood friends, friends you don't even really like friends, I mean, there's every type of friendship out there. But I would wager you that the majority of people in this world have never experienced this closest type of friendship. And I really do believe that the enemy, we have an enemy, wants to keep it that way. Simply put, a life-giving, intimate friendship is, in my opinion one of the most effective and powerful tools that we have in spiritual warfare. And I think that everything in our culture and society today is keeping us from realizing that we are even missing this in our life. We are taking watered down versions. We are accepting false versions of love and acceptance, and we're missing out on one of the greatest weapons for the kingdom, in our lives. And that is what I call the intimate friendship. So I have a confession to make. Whenever I try to think of and pray about a topic or an area to talk to you guys about, I always choose an area of where I'm very vulnerable. And that's for two reasons. One, it's kind of a selfish reason. It's because if I'm going to be researching and studying and praying about an area. I really want it to be an area that I need to grow. I need this. I need to grow in this area, and I have this time that I'm going to take, and I need to learn and grow. But secondly, and more importantly, I believe that our testimonies are the most powerful when we're speaking from a place of vulnerability. God loves our successes and our victories. No one cheers for us more. No one adores us more but I actually think that what he loves even more is when we are proclaiming his victory from a place of struggle. Because that's where we cannot take credit for our success and he gets all the glory. And the topic of friendship is actually pretty painful for me. I've been betrayed. I've betrayed others. I've had long seasons of loneliness in my life, even when I've been surrounded by others. And I've, as I've grown, because I have, and I've, as I've become more whole, because I have, I've learned that I've believed a lot of lies in what it means to have friends and to be a good friend. I believe that our culture today has never been more unharmful to our understanding of what friendship is supposed to be what intimacy and friendship is supposed to look like and the importance of our friendship as it relates to our relationship with God, with our future spouse and with others, with our community and I have to say as a side note, when I speak of intimacy and talk about this intimate friend I'm not referring to what everyone's thinking about, which is sex um, <laughs> I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. Sex actually does not equal intimacy. Sex is an act of intimacy when it's done within the confines of marriage, but it's a grave mistake when we think that sex will lead to emotional intimacy with a person. And I see that happening all the time. And I think our culture really feeds this lie that if you're dating someone and you don't feel that emotional intimacy, that if you sleep with them, if you have sex with them, you'll be taking it to another level emotionally. And I'm here to tell you that that is not true. But I'm not talking about sex tonight. Maybe a different night. (laughs) But when I speak of intimacy tonight, I'm speaking of a closeness that comes when we allow ourselves to be fully seen for who we really are and when we do the same for another person. So as I said, as we know, we live in such an individualistic society. We live in a culture that really admires self-sufficiency, detachment, aloofness, and at the same time, celebrates the numbers of likes and shares and comments that you get on social media as proof of how popular you are, how likable you are, how admirable you are. I would challenge that our society is believing the lie that admiration equals intimacy. And the reason I say that is because I believe the lie that admiration equaled intimacy. We crave being liked and we misinterpret being liked as being loved. And the enemy would love to keep us in this place because it prevents us from experiencing true intimacy in friendship. Intimacy that is life-giving, joy-producing, and it's a place, truly is a place of stability and peace that echoes the relationship that Christ created us to have with him. This lie that admiration equals intimacy mirrors the way that I have done friendship for almost my entire life. I've always felt that as long as I had people to hang out with, that I enjoyed, that I was being invited to do things, that I had plenty of friends. And this is where the idea of friendship began, and ended for me. Essentially, popularity also equaled intimacy. And the puzzling thing was that I still struggled with loneliness, even surrounded by all my friends. I craved this sense of belonging and being important to somebody else, but I had no clue as the means to achieve this. So I accumulated friends. I lived in the dorms in college, which if you've ever lived in the dorms, you are never alone. I even at one point lived in a room with two other roommates that was like the size of this little box. I mean, I was never alone. I was surrounded by people all the time. And yet, I really was lonely. And I challenge you that the person that is superficially liked by everyone is very rarely loved fiercely by anyone. I challenge you that the person, you may know that person, you may be that person, but the person that's superficially liked by everyone is very rarely fiercely loved by anyone. Why is that? Well, what does it take to be superficially liked by everyone? Well, you can't reveal every gamut of who you are because it will be somebody that doesn't like it. You have to be cheerful all the time, because nobody likes someone that isn't cheerful. You better not have a strong opinion. You better be pretty closed off as to your opinions. And I think all of us on a very superficial level enjoy the type of person that's superficially liked by everyone, because those people typically are, are somewhat pleasant to be around. But if we're honest with ourselves in the long haul, most of us really want to be in relationship with someone that has passion, that has opinions, and that is open as to who they are. So ironically, when I was, as the last couple of weeks, thinking about friendship and what the Bible had to say about friendship, I got my Time magazine in the mail. None of you will know what that is because your grandparents are the only ones that subscribe to it and me. <laughs> and I do love my Time magazine. And they have this section in every magazine. It comes every week. It's the local news. But they have this section that on the latest research that's been published. And I couldn't believe it. When I opened my Time magazine last week, they had this section on the latest research that's been published on loneliness. And what psychologists have found is that loneliness almost always is tied to another emotion. And that's shame. Loneliness and shame walk hand in hand. Because in today's romance-fixated, social media-driven culture, loneliness means failure. And failure drives us into isolation. Who wants to be out when you feel like a loser? When we struggle with the shame of feeling lonely, we're actually feeding the very lie that we, don't desire, that we don't deserve to feel any other way. Because shame tells us that it's something that's wrong with us that created this feeling of loneliness. And it's always easier to stay in that state to change, especially if you think that's what you deserve. And this is the very thing that the enemy wants for us to keep us believing the lie that we can't experience anything else. And the truth is that we will remain lonely as long as our relationships remain void of intimacy. And the truth is that you were created for healthy, intimate relationships. And the truth is that you were created with the ability to have healthy, intimate relationships. Jesus has an intimate relationship with us. And the very reason he created us was to have an intimate relationship with him. It is in our DNA. And in today's culture, we're substituting true connection for a virtual connection. We are medicating our loneliness. What do you medicate your loneliness with? Is it hiding out behind a social media platform, reality television, partying? I would venture to say that most college parties you go to are some of the most lonely people you have ever met. So let's look at Jesus' model of friendship. And we can see in the Bible, it's very obvious in the scripture, that Jesus had many friends and many enemies. Because one thing that Jesus did not care about was being superficially liked by everyone. (laughs) To put it lightly. And so I wanted to look at Jesus' inner circle, his intimate friends. And looking at the Bible, I was like, well, I could put the 12 disciples in that inner circle for sure. So let's look at how Jesus related via friendship to the 12 disciples. First of all, Jesus chose his friends deliberately. These weren't people that he happened to sit next to in carpentry class. These weren't the people that just happened to be conveniently around him so they became his friends. They just happened to see at the market. But he intentionally and purposefully picked those that were in his inner circle. Luke chapter 6 verses 12 and 13 says One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them. How do you pick your closest friends? Is it accidental, or is it intentional? Do you carefully choose who gets to come into your inner circle, or is it just whoever is there or the most convenient? Secondly, Jesus prayed for his friends. He did not choose his friends for just what they would give to him, but for what he could be to them. Jesus calls us his friends. When he died for us on the cross, he died to give us access to have that type of relationship with him, an eternal relationship where we are no longer doomed slaves but we are his cherished sons and daughters. And he calls us his friends. I'm sure many of you are familiar with John fifteen fifteen. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I made known to you. So one of our problems in today's culture that we often say is our problem is that the Bible never mentions dating. It never mentions the word dating. And I feel like I've heard a million sermons on dating. And, oh, well, the Bible doesn't mention dating. Back then it was all arranged marriages. And then let's call it courting. And let's call it these different titles. But But I looked at the Bible, and I'm like, well, the Bible definitely has a lot to say about friendship. And I would venture to say, and this ties in so well with Shadi's testimony, that if you have the skills to develop deep, intimate friendships, you're better at dating than you give yourself credit. Here are some of the verses that highlight many of the instructions that the scripture gives us regarding friends. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-four 24 through 25, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. It's pretty clear. Proverbs 17:17, 17, 17, a friend loves at, at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And then my favorite one of this list, Proverbs 13:20, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. I think you look at some of the friends I decided on in my life. So how is Jesus your intimate friend? Well, he knows you by name. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought in your head. He knows every trial you've ever faced. He knows every temptation you have ever faced. And he still loves you more than you can fathom. You are wholly accepted by him. You are wholly cherished by him. He gave his very life for you, and he knows the number of hairs on your head. He calls you his friend. He created us for this relationship where we are fully known by him, and he is fully known by us. And as we draw near to him, he always draws near to us. He is the ultimate example of an intimate friendship. And if we can start to model, just even start to model that type of friendship with each other, we are then showing Jesus to each other. And this will overflow not only into healthier friendships, but I promise you into healthier relationships of every kind whether it's a future spouse, a spouse, a family member, a co-worker, an acquaintance, any type of friendship. So like I said earlier, for the majority of my life, I have never once experienced, I had never once experienced this type of intimate relationship up into the last few years. I'm almost embarrassed to admit the ways that I've distanced myself from friends when their lives got messy or less socially acceptable. Some of my biggest regrets in life are friends that I now realize went through crises in their life. And the way I responded to them was by backing away, by distancing myself. Maybe it's because I felt uncomfortable, or I didn't know what to do to help. I felt inadequate, or maybe I was just being selfish. And I look back on certain times where I essentially betrayed who were supposed to be my closest friends. And I think now that when a friend has a crisis, how more can you be the tangible, tangible hands and feet of Christ than to show up and be there for them? In fact, the prophet Solomon said that many friends are born of adversity. And I talked about the verse in Proverbs, how a friend loves at all times." In Proverbs 18:24, a man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I have learned that it is in your times of crisis that you often develop or learn who is in that inner circle. What about when you're the one betrayed? That doesn't feel good. The other side of the coin. I've been betrayed quite a few times. I'll never forget one that sticks out in my head the most. I was in, I was maybe 20. I was either 19 or 20. I was living with uh, a girl who was my best friend at the time, total best friend. We'd been friends for years. And at the time, we were living in Southern California. And we were living in this really upscale uh, condominium complex. It was actually it had ocean views. It was really nice. And the reason we got to live there was because we had this mutual friend that was very came from a very wealthy family. And her family allowed us to rent this condo for, well, I remember my rent. It was $400 a month. And I had an ocean view, this gorgeous, huge condo in Southern California. So it was very well known in the condominium complex that we were like the poor kids that were kind of like staying as almost like a favor from this family. And everyone else in the complex owned their condos and were extremely wealthy people. Well, I'll never forget, I was living with my my best friend. And one night, late at night, we got a knock on the door. And it was one of the neighbors. And she was there, and her husband was there. They were much older than us. And she was obviously drunk and obviously completely belligerent. And she lost her mind on me. And what happened is she thought I had parked my Jeep too close to her luxury car in the parking spot. And she went bananas on me. I mean in my face, disparaging my character, trying to intimidate me. Her husband's standing there going on how she's going to get us kicked out of the complex and she knows who we are. And basically, like, you are scum and I can't stand it that you're here. It It was really bad. And I will admit, like, I was intimidated. Like, it was kind of scary to me. I was this, like, single girl, and this, this kind of powerful older couple was basically like, we're going to ruin your lives. You were the worst thing in the whole world, and just went on and on about my character and how horrible I was because I parked too close to her brand-new Jaguar. <laughs> and I will never forget that night. And the reason I don't forget that night is not because of this cuckoo lady going crazy on me, because I've definitely, I've had scarier things happen to me. But what I'll never forget is that my best friend stood there and didn't say a word. And she didn't defend me, she didn't stand up for me. She stood there passively while this woman was just on top of me. And afterwards, when I was shaky and I was crying and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get kicked out of this place, I'm so scared, she didn't say for one second that she was going to defend me because this lady was spewing lies. And this friend did not say for one second that she was going to go with me and defend me and tell them the truth. She basically was just covering her own skin. She didn't want to get involved. She didn't want to get kicked out of the condo. And I'll never forget that because that was a, one of the first, earliest times where I felt such an obvious, like, whoa, this is someone that is like my best friend and they are not defending me and setting up for me. And I'll never I'll never forget that painful realization. And I have to say that nothing reveals a man's heart better than their friendships, and who you pick to be in that inner circle of your life actually reflects how you think of yourself inside and who you really are. And obviously that reflects a lot of who I was at the time. This is what my best friend was. But I'll never forget that sense of betrayal. A little more dramatic story, because I have to tell one more story. I always have lots of stories. This I was also my early 20s. I was studying uh, in Spain at a university there. It was my very first weekend there. I knew not a soul. I had no friends. And I kind of got invited by this group of other American students. We were going to like take a train and go to the coast, I think, for the day or the weekend or something. And so a group of us, I didn't know any of them. I'm like kind of figuring out who my friends are going to be. You know, Can I be friends with you? Maybe with you? I don't know. Again, I'm walking with this group of people. We're walking to the train station. And this group of gypsies came that were obviously on drugs, and they picked me out and physically assaulted me. I was mugged. And they grabbed me. I was slammed against a wall. It was, it was very scary. But what I'll never forget is that the entire group ran away, except for one person. And this one girl, she's like, this tall. I'll just never forget it. And I'm like, Hiding like this wimpy, wimp, wimp, you know, against these people. I'm like up against the wall. I don't even speak Spanish yet, you know. I just got here and (laughs) against the wall and I'm being mugged. And I'll never forget looking up the street and seeing the rest of the group standing a block away, scared, not knowing what to do. Well, I'm getting like totally mangled up against this wall and this one, one person stayed. Obviously, the story turned out fine. There was some locals that came, and I'm here, standing here. So it t- and I went home to the States and took self-defense classes. That's another story. <laughs> but I remember vividly after that thinking, with this girl that was right here, I remember thinking, ah. I want to be friends with her. Like, this is who, this is the type of person I want as my friend. She didn't even know me. And she came and she fought with me against this person. And I remember thinking at that time from this level, I wasn't even a very mature person at the time, but I remember having the maturity to think, like, that is who my friend is. You know, bye-bye everybody else. (laughs) Um, And what's interesting, too, is that, That situation didn't hurt as much as just the verbal assault by that neighbor because of the relationship I thought I had with that other friend. So how do we develop these intimate relationships? It's kind of easy to talk about it. We should have them. We should be careful about who we let in. But how do we even develop these relationships to begin with? And have to start that by saying real intimacy begins with connecting with your own heart. Who you are, who you were created to be, and who you are destined to be. Because if you can't be intimate with your own heart and with the creator, you'll be completely incapable of participating in an intimate friendship. I also think that finding quality friends these days is a lot of the same ways that we look for someone to date. I mean, there needs to be chemistry. There just, there does. You have to have chemistry with a good friend. You have to have qualities in common A shared love of the Lord, a shared desire to grow and be whole in Christ, a shared passion for what he wants in our lives. These are ingredients to not only healthy, intimate friendships, but to marriage. See how much overlap there is? Of course, you can be friends with people that are not Christians, that are different than you, that believe different than you. I think that's extremely healthy. It's something that's actually very important to me. But these are not the people that are in your inner circle. See the difference? I love having friends that believe differently than me because it makes me think. It makes me um, really refine who I am and what I believe. But I never allow those people in the most innermost circle. You can't. You can't. Because they don't share the same intimate relationship with Jesus. So what are the ingredients to deep and lasting friendships? There's a book that if you're around Eric Waterbury very much, at some point he will recommend to you. It's called The Friendship Factor by Alan Loy McGinnis. And it's such a great book because it's super practical. And I'm a very practical person. I like to see the steps laid out. Not unlike one of our favorite Eric's right here. So here are some key factors to developing intimate friendships. You can jot these down. First of all, transparency. There is such a security that comes with being not only fully known, but still fully accepted. Our emotional lives are not meant to be open books to everyone. And we all know those people. If you don't know them, you might be one that, like, you know how they feel emotionally about everything. That's not my whole point here. I'm not giving you permission to do that. But every person should have a few friends in their life that know them fully and accept them fully. Because this is where we're truly loved, right? Secondly is priority. Do you squeeze time in for your friends when it's convenient for you? Or are you willing to inconvenience yourself for them? Because friendships cannot sustain themselves in that most inner circle if you don't see each other, if you don't converse with each other, and gosh, it feels really good when you see a friend change their plans or move something around or inconvenience themselves for you because it, it's such a great demonstration of how much they value your friendship. Thirdly, this has been a big learning curve for me, is to talk about your affection. Do your friends know that they are loved by you? Have you communicated that to them? We so often withhold telling our friends that we love them Because of fear. I think we live in a culture where we feel kind of like being sentimental or the men feel like I'm not as masculine or the fear of being rejected. Like what if I tell them that I really love them and care for them and they just kind of like stare at me back, you know? But I challenge you that if you become the kind of person that really declares your love freely, sincerely, like when you sincerely love someone and you declare it from this place of just... I'm freely giving this to you, you're more likely to be loved so widely by people. I have found that when I become more outspoken in telling my friends that I like them, just starting, hey, I really like you, or hey, I really enjoy spending time with you, the relationship deepens so much more quickly because there's not this fear of like, I like them, I don't know if they like me. And this, you know, obviously applies to many other relationships in our lives. Fourth, learn the gestures of love. Be intentional in what you do for your friends. Show that you're willing to go out of your way to give them an act of kindness. This community is so awesome at that. I can't, there's so many times in this community where I have seen people, they have to move and someone lends them their truck and freely gives of what they have and of their time. And those are gestures of love. And this is such a loving community. And if you're new here, if you hang around for a little bit, you're going to see that's so true. Like most of the people here are so good at demonstrating love to each other. Fifthly, one of my favorites, create space in your relationships. <laughs> Personally, nothing makes me run faster than when I sense that someone's trying to control me. You have to give and receive freedom to truly be in an intimate friendship. So how do we cultivate intimacy in these friendships? First of all, physical warmth, which means hugging, which I am not a natural hugger. We didn't hug each other growing up. We didn't clap in church. We didn't really touch each other. I would always like enjoy it when one of my parents had like a medical procedure because they always seemed like when they're on the drugs, they would be a little more expressive. <laughs> I shouldn't even say those things. I'm not going to tell stories. <laughs> but I am not a natural hugger. But I will tell you that you can get better with practice. And I practice, and I'm better at it. And Hugging, again, I'm not talking about the Italian mamas that just hug every single person they meet. But, like, when you sincerely hug someone because you want to be warm with them, like, it is so powerful. Secondly, be liberal with genuine praise, encouragement, appreciation. When I think of people I love, sometimes, you know, have you ever um, seen a friend do something, like, even if it's at school um, and that you saw something that you thought was pretty cool, like if they gave money to a homeless guy, or they did a really good talking class, or you saw them do uh, make a really cool design, or make a cool song, and it pops in your mind. I'd encourage you to just immediately text them, or call them, or tell them, like, "Hey, like I thought this was really awesome." Because I don't, I think so often we keep those things to ourselves, but when we Um, are liberal with our praise, it goes so far in cultivating intimacy in a relationship. Thirdly, time for conversation. It requires effort. And it's so hard to do. We jam our schedules these days, and we have become such a society of not even speaking in full sentences, but texting, emojis. And those things can be okay, but you really have to give time for conversation to cultivate intimacy. Fourthly, Talk freely about your feelings. I know most of the men here will really love that one. But I have to say that if you don't talk about your feelings to keep yourself from being hurt, you are, just as a natural consequence, keeping yourself from being loved. Because you've got to put it out there in order for people to love you genuinely for who you are. And I also want to say something about small talk because I've heard from, I hear from people a lot, oh, I can't stand small talk. Like, I like to have deep conversations. I can't stand going to a place and having small talk so I think there's so many people, so even in this community, that have so much depth that they really crave conversations that don't involve things that are superficial. But I have to encourage you that you may hate small talk, but if you enter into small talk with someone you don't know, If you are truly listening, and that person starts getting the sense of that they are truly being heard, small talk always evolves into something deeper. It really does. And the only reason it stays at superficial level is because someone doesn't sense that you are really hearing and listening to what they're saying, and so it doesn't become a safe place for them to go there. So I hope tonight that I challenge you to think about your inner circle, who you allow in, and how you cultivate who is there, because I truly believe that we are living purposeful and whole lives when we are intimate with Jesus, with ourselves, and with the right friends. Thanks, you guys.